The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, episode 37. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people, make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a deity. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember, the Force will be with you, always. Hey everybody, I'm Father Andrew Kinstetter aka Father Fett, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far, far away, including the deeper themes and meanings, all from a Catholic point of view. Today, we're continuing our discussion on the connections and lore of the Mandalorian culture as seen in the animated series The Clone Wars. And today, we are going to be discussing Season 3, Episode 10, Heroes on Both Sides, and Season 4, Episode 14 entitled A Friend in Need. And so joining me today on the panel are, first up, it's Mike Creevy. Hey, Mike. Hey, Father. It's good to be here. Good to have you. And second this evening, we have Thomas Sanherjo. Hey, Thomas. Hey, Father. It's good to be here. That is the group tonight to discuss these two episodes. So uh, buckle up because there's uh, a bit of stuff more in the second episode, but but we'll kind of get to that. So these two episodes are are linked more or less kind of from a from a plot point of view uh th- some of the characters kind of overlap they're not sequential by any means in terms of the the release order but Lux and Ahsoka are kind of uh the 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 tie between the two so that that first episode in fact just has kind of a brief passing connection to to Mandalore and to Mandalorian culture yeah i like i like the way it does that where Mandalore's like the jumping point in that yeah. first one yeah, yeah, it's used as just kind of the the independent system that they're able to kind of smuggle through. But that's really the only kind of connection to to man to Mandalorians at all that we see in that episode and there's quite a bit more in that in that second episode. So to throw it to to you guys, what uh what were your in- impressions of this particular little story arc? I like that it's all about Ahsoka. Uh Ahsoka's uh one of the most interesting characters in the Clone Wars as it goes through. And you see her develop and you see this resistance to what the Jedi are about and this understanding of what war is. And these two episodes are really good episodes to set that up and that that growth that she goes through. Yeah, I agree. And I I think the um, not spoiling anything, but just a couple important themes, you know, that I'm sure will come up here in a little bit. But war and peace, just war, you know, some of these things we've kind of covered in some of these episodes in this arc. Uh, but in particular, I think with this one, I just think it's interesting the getting to see, you know, like the separatist Senate or, or just some of the things more from their angle, you know, kind of, I use the word humanize, but we have lots of different species here, of course, <laughs> for, for us human viewers, you know, that idea of, of being able to get a little window behind kind of not just Dooku, but like what, what's it like on their side? What are some of their motivations? And uh, just like with our own civil war, you know, the the complex nature of when there's some old relationships that are now like I'm on this side and she's on that side or, or you know, that kind of thing. So that, that was kind of cool. 
Yeah, actually, that's exactly where I was kind of, and I use the same word humanize in my, in my notes as I talked oh. about this. Uh, you know, it, and, but both from the point of it humanizes the separatists, but also in that second episode, there, there's a humanization of the droids even as they're fixed yeah. by R2D2. And, and I actually kind of found a connection. I don't know if it's really there or not, but between IG 11 and the Mandalorian who uh, sort of goes through his own redemption and, you know, goes against what he was initially programmed to, to the, the droids in, in that second episode where they're able to. You know, they, they claim or they tell R2-D2 that they're no longer battle droids anymore and then fight right. with R2-D2. Right. Which was yeah. which was a, a simpler way of showing ig Eleven's story in a, you know, 20 minute right. Clone Wars episode. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought I thought they were they were good about that. And then and again, even and we'll get into this more, I'm sure. But just the fact that, you know, when there is conflict and war and all of these sorts of things, we can't forget the the human dignity of of everyone you know your your enemy is still made in the image and likeness of god and mm-hmm. and so you know through the lens of ahsoka we sort of see her and her polarized viewpoint kind of soften as she as she goes through her her arc in this in this story plot so we'll kind of we'll kind of jump into that as we go along so the the first episode that we're going to look at is uh season three episode 10 heroes on both sides and um, one of the interesting things that I was, as I was kind of doing some research on this, this is a, a subtle reference to the opening crawl of, of Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Um, and in that crawl, it says there are heroes on both sides. Evil is everywhere. So, you know, that that's kind of a fun little, a little Easter egg there. And, and, and on that note, just real quick, because I was thinking I, that that always bothered me a little bit in the crawl for Revenge of the Sith, because it's like, what if... Maybe I'm missing something, but what have you done in the movies to establish that? You know, right. like it just seemed like kind of a random thing. So that was something I thought actually kind of closed the the loop a little bit on that. Which was and good. it's one that's really interesting too when it when you think about the movies and the way that the the droid the droids are stand-ins. You know, they're yeah. they're a faceless enemy. They are meaningless. Uh, killing them is not killing something. It's just destroying a thing. Mm-hmm. And the the fact that that doesn't get talked about more, but it is now, you know, as we're moving into the Mandalorian and we're seeing the IG-11 unit and then all these other droids that are getting more of a humanistic characteristic, it becomes an interesting thing to look at. I'd also point out, too, that that the clones are sort of the same thing on the opposite side. If you have just a bunch of right. clones, when you kill a clone, there's not really this sense of, you know, uh, killing a person. You're just, you know, killing a number, you know, more right. or less. So. Yeah, and uh, you, you see that in that first, that, that opening scene where they're talking in the Senate and they're arguing about, we need more money so that we can throw more clones at this problem, you know? <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, <laughs> hold on now. And it seems like the only two people that are concerned about that are the two senators that are arguing against this uh, this push to just open the banks for mm-hmm. more clones. Yep. And I found that very uh, enlightening for me. I, uh, I've i already kind of told you guys that I this th- this is kind of my introduction to the Clone Wars is what we've been discussing. So. To see to see Padme in, in her role has been mm-hmm. really helpful to me because you the movies don't quite get into the depth of her character right. very much. Yeah. She's kind of the love interest of Anakin and you know that that whole thing. But but yeah, to see her and and I especially liked that 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 opening scene where they are arguing about that. She she is the one who kind of breaks out and uh, and makes the comment. She says, you know, they're they're all talking about the the fiscal 
aspect and and the money and and we need to deregulate the banks in order to to finance more clones and and she comes out and she says say nothing of fi- fiscal responsibility what about moral responsibility mm-hmm. and so she is she is trying to cut through all of the 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 politics of it and point towards just the the human nature the the moral responsibility that they have in this war and 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 that was that was very very good for me to see in her character well and that it reminds me a little bit of um i'm just looking here i forget what year it came out 2010 uh under the roman sky the pope Pius the 12th movie with um oh what's his name james uh james cromwell it was cromwell i'm thinking i'm thinking of, i was just doing a read through some of the english reformation so there's a lot of cromwells in that of course but but uh did you guys see that one he, he plays Pius the 12th mm-hmm. no i haven't seen that one it's it's pretty good but it, it at one point he's got this uh this german officer that he keeps kind of like having these run-ins with and the, you know the 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 officer's really i don't remember if he's an ss officer i think he's just he's a like a, a german military commander but at one point he's giving his typical sort of you know speech and everything and and up till now Pius the 12th has been kind of reserved a little you know quiet and and but strong and he starts to say something about like i'm a soldier and then like the pope just screams at him and he's like no and like the whole scene you just don't expect it and he's looking at him he's like you are a man you know and and just to, to yeah. stop everything it's like you know, drop all this, you know, this, this duty, that duty, this political thing. Like, what, what's the right thing for you to do right now? Like, you're not going to be able to stand before God and be like, well, I was a, a good German officer or a good American officer. You know, so I thought that there's a little bit of some of that in this too, that with, with her approach there. Like, everybody just pause for a second. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, they're already even within the, 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 debate setting up those those uh, opposing views you've got bail organa and, and padme who are who are fighting to try to do what's moral and right and then you have all the other i mean of course the 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 um the techno union the trade federation the banking clan all concerned about their their profits and everything but even within the senate there there was a point where they kind of break out into arguing again when padme introduces the the idea that they could negotiate and right. they're already setting up that uh, one of one of the senators says you can't negotiate with those animals. Yeah. And so there was this already a, a very clear, you know, uh, we see them as less than human. Mm-hmm. And so Padme is trying to, you know, <laughs> reverse that that thought. Well, it's interesting because you also look at that uh, the American Civil War. There's I, I, I'm I'm one of those. But I go back to history and I look at the presidents for what they were. And um, I have a real issue with Lincoln at points where his goal was to win at all costs. It did not matter. He needed to squash the the rebellion. And he was willing to do that by firing generals that wouldn't listen to him and do the things that needed to be done. And it was effective. Uh, but yeah. uh, and a lot of times we kind of hold him on a pedestal because of the good things that came from that. But at the same time, there were a lot of really bad things that came from that. And being a person who was born in Atlanta, raised in the South, you know that's an under that's an undercurrent of everything that happens there. And you know, I I was not a part of any of the oppression, obviously, and my family is immigrant on top of that. So that's kind of a you know another light, layer uh, to everything. But it is something to look at, and you see here that there's um this push for win at all costs and just go and throw, throw the whole bank at it. And it's, it's very, because it's a kid's show. It's like very in your face, this like yeah. whole techno union and banking thing. 
But there really isn't much of a difference between that and what happens in the real world where the industrial complex gets moving with it. And they're like, well, yeah, let's keep the tanks rolling, keep the planes coming off the line because we're making money while we're doing this. Yeah. And you and you touch on a, on a crucial point of, of Catholic moral theology that the ends don't justify the means. Exactly. You know, when we when we choose to to pursue, you know, any of those sorts of things, you can't do evil in order to 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 cause something good to happen. Right. So um, and and of, and of course, you know, the 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 Trade Federation and the Techno Union and Banking Clan are all I mean, they're already corrupt anyway. So they don't none of this is even coming into their mind. They just want the profit. Right. So well, they're obviously playing both sides of the of the war too, which is yeah. It, it, that's not as much of a real world thing. Most often, most of the time, there's not like a a a, a real corporation that's actually sitting on both sides of the of the combat. But at the same time, there are people that are willing to be to step into that space and to prolong the war because it benefits them. Mm-hmm. And you know, we bring the, the of course the spiritual element too of just the fact that we we know as contextual fans of course that this whole thing is orchestrated by kind of the devil (laughs) right very directly you know he's he's absolutely you know got this this galactic wide plan you know so that's that's tough too when you're watching people having cocktails and trying to talk this through and i'm I'm sitting there like oh darn like i want to I want to jump in there and just kind of tell you guys what I know. <laughs> like, there's so much more going on here. Oh man! Just don't don't bring it to Palpatine. Don't right, go somewhere yeah, else with yeah, it. Please just for the side. Him. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and then too, you know, I think the the whole crux of the Clone Wars series is to watch the Jedi try and humanize the clones. Like that's their whole objective is fighting with the clones. They keep trying to give them a, a voice. Keep trying to give them a personality, and it makes the betrayal of them at the end so much more impactful you know when you when you actually go through and think of this and then order 66 happens and you're like oh it's so horrible because they actually valued these guys and now they're completely turning their backs on them but that's not the way it was for everyone because Mm -hmm. everyone wasn't on the front line with them right and we see in star wars rebels that not all the clones uh turned on the on the jedi either which which is helpful when they address some of that in in Clone Wars, but I'm excited again with this upcoming, at the time of this recording, you know, this, uh, this upcoming new season that there's been, I, I've heard a few things where they haven't given away too much, but, but that some of it's going to be contemporaneous with, um, with Order 66 and stuff like that too, oh, possibly. Cool. So it, it, oh, wow. yeah, I don't know how they'll, they'll do that or how much of it, but that'll be neat. Oh, they have had never had any respect for timelines. So <laughs> right. I, don't, I don't doubt that happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, jumping back into the to the to the recap here, uh, we kind of already talked about that the the Trade Federation, the Techno Union, the Baking Clan all try to come up with this plan to to make the war feel closer to home, so they can cause the Senate to vote to continue funding the war because the Senate had tabled that emergency bill. And we switch to to Padme, who's urging Anakin to go speak to the Jedi Council to speak to the Chancellor about this. And we are brought to Ahsoka, who just doesn't seem to see the point of trying to negotiate with the separatists. You know, she sees the separatists as evil and doesn't understand the politics behind it and can't figure out what's going on. And Anakin tries to to clarify the simple situation for her. 
And I found this very, very like Anakin. He says, the separatists think the Republic is corrupt and they're wrong and we have to restore order. And I immediately thought that sounds like very much something Darth Vader is definitely going to do. Restore (laughs) order and we have to do it. Mm -hmm. I brought peace and security to my new empire. Like, oh, no. The fist of the emperor, man. That's that's uh, but it. (laughs) It's it's interesting because you see this character that is really developing into this uh, black and white. And I, I don't know, it's, the Jedi are so interesting when you look at them this way because they don't, they have, they espouse this black and white, but at the same time, the really good ones like Ahsoka and what she ends up becoming and like um, Qui-Gon were more willing to look at each situation as a gray, as a, I'm not really sure where this is going to go, but I'm going to trust the force and move with it. And not to say, this is bad, this is good, this is bad, this is good, and just categorize everything. And you see Anakin falling away from Obi-Wan's lessons, that Obi-Wan must have been giving him these lessons, because that's Obi-Wan's thing. It's like, Obi-Wan's like, you know, very relaxed about the way that he moves, and he just kind of follows the tendencies of the force around him. and you see Anakin's not picking up that part of the lessons. He's very much a black and white, this is wrong, this is right, and everything fits into neat little categories. Keep going back to that line from like a few episodes ago, the whole like the stabbing the guy through the back. What? He was going to blow up the ship. Right? <laughs> like that really summarizes so much. Right, you know, right, right. <laughs> and he has to control it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but even in that moment in, in the, the episode, Padme sort of like sees that and she pulls Ahsoka away from from Anakin and decides to to teach her about politics and, and all of this away from Anakin. And so we they they start to talk and, and Padme laments that that she wants to talk to her friend who's a who's also a senator, Senator Bonteri, who is a separatist now. And that Padme can't actually meet with her officially because it's illegal. It would legitimatize the separatists, according to the Republic. And so then that's where they concoct this plan to use Ahsoka to get um, Ahsoka, because Ahsoka can travel to neutral worlds. So they're going to use Ahsoka to smuggle Padme through Mandalore, which is a neutral world, where they, they will board a cargo ship and they will head to one of the separatist systems. And that's where they're going to uh, go to Raxus, which is where... Uh, Senator uh, Senator Bonteri is is located at. We quickly then switch to General Grievous, who confirms uh, his mission, and he uh, with Count Dooku, and that he's about to deploy the the infiltrator droids, and he's talking to them. And again, this is sort of like a human thing. He 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 tells the droids that that they're not going to return, and not to let that get in their way, and. I was sort of thinking, well, if they're droids, they're just, they should just be programmed. Like, it wouldn't matter if they have this right. fear of not like, returning or not. Like Henry but... the Fifth speech before they go into battle. Like, well, but, but then what you, what you see them do, like, they're actually designed not to return. Like, that's the whole point yeah. of the droids yeah. is like, you're not coming back. <laughs> Very clearly, that is not your objective. <laughs> <laughs> right. So he gives them the, the pep talk and then they uh, turn into what looks like cleaning droids and they, they head off to be delivered to, to Coruscant. We turn back to Padme and Ahsoka who have made it to, to Raxus to meet up with uh, Senator Bonteri. 
And we're, we're again, it's, and I, and I, I appreciate this about the Clone Wars and I sort of don't appreciate this about the Clone Wars is, is the fact that it is a kid's show. And so some of this is like just incredibly in your face and obvious. And I, and I get that and I understand that. And it's great for, for kids. I, you know, being 30, I sort of, uh, <laughs> like a little more subtlety, but they meet with, uh, Senator Bonteri and Ahsoka is visibly surprised. And Senator Bonteri says, or no, Ahsoka asks her, you're a separatist? And, and Bonteri says, of course, dear. What were you expecting? As if, right, like, am I like, supposed to have horns? And even right. if I didn't have horns, what would that mean? Because, like, right. there's have a whole race of people right. that has horns growing out of their heads. Right, <laughs> right, right. What am I supposed to look like? <laughs> you were supposed to look like an evil monster. Uh, but Mustache twirling <laughs> something, you know, yeah. Well, right. but, but then uh, on the turn of that, think of the, you know, uh, later when she's talking to Lux, uh, Lux asks if uh, she'd met any separatists before. And the only two people she's met that are separatists are Dooku and mm-hmm. um, Asajj Ventress. And those are the only two uh, non-droid uh, figures that she's met. Because I don't think at this point she's met um, Grievous. I'm not sure, but... but uh, I think she mentions that she's met Grievous, but I, okay. I could be it, wrong. It, but even with those two, even if you add him in, that's even worse because, right. I mean, he's he's horrendous. But, you know, those those are terrible examples of people to represent the actual other side of the, the, the faces on the other side beyond the droids. Well, that's yep. something I think they even did really well in The Force Awakens, you know, because going back and rewatching that before the new movie, you know, um, it was a good two thirds of the way through it before Adam Driver takes the helmet off. And it's, it's in the context of Ray, you know sternly referring to him as a creature in a mask you know he just abruptly stands up and takes it off and it's like andy samberg like I, like when i first saw it i was like no that's wait it looks like josh groban like there's all these like like he's he's not what you'd expect you know he doesn't yet have a huge scar or he's not like doesn't have red eyes it was it was kind of like okay this guy doesn't like really look threatening necessarily so what's his deal you know so of course he is a bad guy then for most of the movies, but still it was just, that was another little, I thought similar kind of mm-hmm. thing there, you know, if there's at least getting you to think about maybe there's more to this than I realized, you know, that's a good plot device, I think. Well, and Ahsoka is committing, uh, one of the, and it's been a while since I've been in philosophy, but one of the fallacies of equating her encounter, her experience with, you know, one or two or three, she's equating them with the entire group of the separatists. Mm-hmm. which is which is totally a wrong way to approach things and and um she discovers that it's a genetic fallacy right i think that's what it's called i will I, go sure back to my called. notes it's 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 been <laughs> a while yeah i, I think um, that's what it's called well, and even but, even like you know my uh i was deployed to iraq in 2008 but you know my and my brother was deployed before and after me and you know it, it's very common you know to to have you know some truly sick twisted evil people who are truly just very dark who are paying a, a deeply impoverished local guy without any education who doesn't really know maybe what's going on in the world any of that to say hey you know we'll pay you x amount or we'll you know we'll take care of your family if you go plant this bomb you know or, or you know we know such and such about you and if you don't go plant this bomb we'll tell everybody else you know blackmail like all the things that can i mean it is a huge horrible mess <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. um, and it, it's just, it's not easy to just, you know, okay, they're all like that. That's, they're never all like that. 
ever, right, right. Uh, you know, in any war ever. So, yeah, it's complicated. Yeah, and I and I think this episode tried to highlight that. Yeah, very, and it, and I and I think they they did a really good a good job with it. Well, and I love the fact that they bring up even what the separatists don't like about the Republic, and it's right. exactly the thing that we just saw we don't like about the Republic. You know, that's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's that's totally the yeah. corporations have kind of taken yeah. over and are kind of running the show there. So, hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and Ahsoka meets or is introduced to to Lux, Mina's son, which was interesting because his his name is is Lux, which is Latin for light, mm-hmm. and. And so I, I just kind of toyed with that just a little bit, but, but I'm wondering if, if that was, you know, his role to, to shine light on Ahsoka's ignorance hmm. in this episode. I don't I know if that. that's at all what they intended, but that was sort of when I, when I heard that name and I read that name on the closed caption, I was like, hmm, he's going to do something. I thought the glamour pan of Ahsoka was a little goofy, but, but funny. You know, when she said something about like, <laughs> you ever meet, see a Jedi, Have you ever like, meet a- like he, like, the, like you see from his eyes. I'm like, nah, no. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're like all frowns. boys. <laughs> all boys, just like <laughs> exactly the same. <laughs> right, right. But even before that, like she she's introduced to Lux, and Lux's mom had asked him to help with the the baggage, and uh, and Lux grabs Padme's uh, bag, and Ahsoka absolutely refuses his help. Right. <laughs> like so, so she's still like like doesn't she's not she's not trusting. She still sees him as as the enemy and uh and they they move inside and they start discussing the war it's like she wants to find a way to take him prisoner like now or something you know like wait well, like, i'm gonna well she's you. so she's <laughs> so used to aggressive negotiations right that's yep. i mean she even brings that up when Padme's telling her that she's yep. gonna teach her about this stuff and she's like well it'd be really nice if we could do peaceful negotiations sometime <laughs> mm-hmm. and like she even goes into this one like guns blazing you know when she meets mina and she's like starts just like railing into her like how can you possibly think this and Padme, you know, blanches at it, and then, and then, uh, but Mina takes it in stride and like re- responds to her very nicely, and and you know, kind of tries to bring her around to to seeing things her way, to seeing think that you know there are, there are differences of opinion here that can be just as valid on both sides. Mm-hmm. And she sta- shares the story about her husband who was killed, uh, right. who was defending himself, uh, and was killed by clone troopers. So even that, I, I think, was was one of the clinchers of bringing a bit of humanity into it for Soka, because it's after that story that she needs to go outside and get some air. Yeah. And I think that's one of the tendencies we have in war to to glorify our guys and to take a face away from the people that we're fighting against. And even beyond that, the the damage that's done by being aggressive in another place uh, because this guy was just defending himself, right? He was setting up a base because that's, you know, he was trying to help out the planet that he was going to, which is what we see the Jedi do over and over and over and over again. And so he was there setting up the base and then, then that planet was attacked by the clone troopers. And so he's defending himself. He's legitimately trying to protect himself from what's happening and he's killed in the process. And we don't see the fallout. A lot of times when we're thinking about war, we don't see the fallout beyond just the casualties when a firefight starts, but all the bullet holes that remain in houses, all of the bombs that take out buildings that then have to be rebuilt and the infrastructure that's lost and the time that's lost and the effort that's put into trying to fix the damage that's done by the war, right or wrong, doesn't matter. That damage is happening even 
even with a focused purpose, you're still damaging something or someone, and there's a fallout from that. Yeah, I went to to World Youth Day in in Krakow uh, a couple of years ago in 2016, and one of the things that we were able to do was we were able to go visit Auschwitz, and 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 I mean that was such an impactful and sobering experience to walk through that and to I mean again to to see the the result of what happened in World War II and you know to hopefully prevent that sort of thing from ever happening happening again and it sort of just brought home something that you read about in history books or you you know you see on the news but this this is a a very real thing that that um happens in the world yeah well and and i was just thinking too and i i'm trying to think i don't remember i don't think i mentioned this i'm getting confused a little bit because i i missed the episode i wasn't able to make it the night that we you know you guys recorded um um a while back talking about some more of these war themes and that sort mm-hmm. of stuff, but I listened to it. So because it's just bizarre. So like now, like my only context for like secrets of star Wars is being in these conversations with you guys. So I sometimes forget. <laughs> I was like, was I there? But, but I don't think I mentioned it with you guys, but if I did, I'll just say real quickly, you know, the other questions that can open up with the long-term effects, like Thomas was talking about too, is, is, you know, uh, we had a really very interesting debate. In one of my classes a few years ago, considering, uh, and it was something a student brought up. I'd never thought of it. And he asked, if a soldier plants a landmine, you know, as part of what they're doing, and then, you know, whatever, you know, he goes on, he dies, he lives, whatever, and then, the, you know, something happens where basically that's not discovered, because that happens all the time. Um, there's still people being killed by unexploded ordnance from World War One in France every now and then, you know. And he asked, he said, like, he said, like, a thousand years from now, someone steps on that landmine and they die. Is the guy who planted it somehow guilty for that person's death? And it led to a really fascinating conversation about how our judgment works, you know, because it takes into account all of the lasting effects, you know, of everything we ever did. So, like, I I firmly believe the more I think about this, that none of us can possibly comprehend the real toll of, of every sin we commit. Uh, or every, even every, every just decision we make. And, um, and right. so I guess what I'm saying is, you know, it's, it's causing me to reflect more about to not be so dismissive about like, well, you know, we just got to do this. We got to do this thing right now. Well, uh, do we like, you have, have we tried right. harder? Or have we tried hard enough to find another way? Um, especially right. if it's, if it's war. And that's certainly what I see the, the church always talking like that, you know, and then some people don't like that, but that's why, you know. Yeah, and that, and that that brings up just a point of of what happens when we choose an act. That when we when we make a decision and and do something, we're affecting some change outside of us in in choosing to do whatever it is that we do, but we're also affecting change within us. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's the whole idea between virtue and vice is that the more you practice virtue, the more you're exercising that that muscle uh to do what is what is right. Um, it's changing you. It's making you a, a more virtuous person, you know, and every time that you choose to cut corners or you choose to, you know, make the ends uh, justify the means, you're becoming a more vice-filled person. So it's not right. just this one decision has, ah, it's got to have one effect on someone down the road. No big deal. No, anytime that you make some sort of selfish act, it actually makes you a more selfish person or vice versa, selfless, if you choose to act mm-hmm. selflessly. And we have to, we always have to remember that in, in just trying to, to be a, a holy and virtuous person. And especially right. in these kind of situations, like 
what kind of man are you going to be or what kind of woman are you going to be? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you see Padme doing the right thing in the turn there where she's putting out good into the world and she's right. uh, Rather than propagating this concept of war, she's saying, let's, let's try and let cooler heads prevail and let's see if we can talk it out. Let's see if we can have a diplomatic solution that maybe everybody can be happy with. And if Mm -hmm. we would just sit down and do that, maybe it would work. Which is exactly why I loved how she kind of got through like, okay, let's to say nothing of fiscal responsibility. What about moral responsibility? Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, she, she is kind of that, that model for which we're, we're seeing that played out. So we have then an encounter between Ahsoka and Lux. And that's, that's kind of what we were talking about a little bit earlier, where they realize that, that each other is the first separatist or the first Jedi that, that they've ever seen. And they both sort of, I think, finally come to this realization that they're not the evil that they, they believed would be in the other. And Padme and, and uh, Senator Mina are talking and disagree on, on Count Dooku. Uh, Mina admires him as a leader. Padme, of course, does not. But they agree for the need to stop the war. And I think they, they are on the same page when it comes to, to the moral issues that we've been talking about. And so Padme tells Mina about the state of the Senate and their, the Senate's potential hesitation to continue funding the war. And tells Mina that if the separatists give um, an olive branch of peace to the the Republic, that she believes that the Republic would agree to negotiate. And then we have a, a, a very fascinating scene with the the separatist Parliament. Um, I don't I don't know if we've seen that before, but it was the first time that I saw it. You know, so, yeah, that's, so that's the first yeah. time it appears. Okay, yeah. and it and I think it's one of the only times that it appears yeah. also because it's very. Uh, it gives you an insight to the fact that they're operating very similarly to the Republic. Right. And I, I, mean, the I, movie- I liked how different the aesthetic was. Like, it looked very much mm-hmm. like kind of British part. You ever seen the movie Amazing Grace? It really reminds me of that kind of era. Right. You know, just it had that look. Right. And, and so I was, I was definitely kind of sh- shocked in a way about it because the movies just imply that Count Dooku is the leader. Right. And so you just assume a tyrant. So the fact that, right. I mean, still him, him and Palpatine are, totally you know pulling the strings on everything but it was it was interesting to see him kind of uh set up this this vote for whether or not the the separatists would would offer this uh this peace negotiation offer and so they do that because mina uh proposes that to the parliament and uh the separatists agree to open peace negotiations and we have then a scene again with the Trade Federation, the Techno Union, and the banking clan all completely scared out of their minds that, that this is going to actually work and stop the war and stop uh, their profits. And one of them says, and I just, I wrote down the quote, he says, we need to feed the, we need to, we need fighting to feed the machine and our profits. And I heard the song War Pigs in my head. It was just going right there. I was like, <laughs> yep, yep, that's it. <laughs> But, you know, it's, I think, I think that's a sentiment that the 1990s and early 2000s, like really ingrained in our generation, uh, growing up the, the sense of like the, you know, this just constant war, uh, feel of like everything's just kind of feeding into this constant continuous war. And I even have a friend who uh, became an officer in the military because he was like, it's the one economy that's, you know, it's never going to fail. You 
you get a job in the military and you, you're going to be there yeah. for a while because there's always going to be something else that they're going to dig up for us to do. Or a mortician. They'll never go out of uh, business That's either. That's another one. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, uh, Count Tuku calms their fears and, and assures them that, that this attack on Coruscant is going to happen and defeat the, the peace effort. And back on uh, Raxus, Padme and Mina say goodbye, and they both leave feeling hopeful that the war might end. And Ahsoka and, and Lux also leave uh, as friends in that moment. And then we quickly go back to Coruscant where things are, are escalating. The, the infiltrator droids are, are ordered to continue their infiltration by General Grievous, and they make their way uh, through a checkpoint with a clone trooper. Um, under the the disguise that they are tasked of uh, being generator maintenance droids, and so they are pointed by the clone trooper towards uh, the power generators, and then he makes some snide comment about droids and how stupid they are. Stupid droids. <laughs> my yeah. kids, my kids had a good laugh at that. They're like, they're not even going to check them, and I'm like, they did. The guys had the right, <laughs> yeah. you know, the droids had the right passes. Like, <laughs> they're droids. These guys don't really think that much about them, you know. Yeah. Which is and weird then we, because you know, their their biggest enemy out in the universe, in the galaxy, they're fighting all the time are droids. But you know, yeah, but they don't look like that. <laughs> they don't droids. look like that. Yeah, <laughs> transformers. <laughs> right. Yep. Yep. Padme then tries to to convince Ch- Chancellor Palpatine to accept the peace offer that's coming at them by the separatists, and Palpatine is just very hesitant and. Claims that whenever the Republic has has reached out for peace in the past, they've been rejected. And Padme is firm in her conviction and argues that she believes it to be sincere because it originates with with her friend. And so Palpatine reluctantly lets the vote go to the floor of the Senate. He still knows what's going on, so... Yeah. (laughs) Well, Um, This this is when we cycle back to the... um to the quote at the beginning of the of the show where fear is fear is a strong motivator and that's Mm -hmm. yeah you you see that because at this point when they go for the vote it seems like the senate has lost the stomach for the fight like they are all ready to throw in nobody's really ready to let the banking guild have this much uh power it's kind of you know they they all see the writing on the wall but Mm -hmm. they and they need that they need that fear to drive them the next step and that's what we see is that yep that rise of the fear yep exactly because the the droids um arrive at the the power generators and they they attack all the workers and they kill all the workers and the vote is happening concurrently and many yeah are, are willing to vote no on that and then the droids detonate themselves and they they take out this large uh portion of power out of Coruscant, and that includes the Senate, and it's quickly determined that that is indeed a separatist attack. And yeah, and then and then calm heads are are definitely not there in the Senate, and they are they just kind of escalate and and um, are convinced that this was an a that the peace offer was just a way to lower the Republic's defenses in order to attack, and the Senate promptly decides to deregulate the banks and increase the war effort. <laughs> So, um, yeah, and then the, the, the whole episode ends with Anakin reprimanding Ahsoka for her going too far in this whole situation and doing something illegal uh, with the, the mission. And Ahsoka 
does remark that the politics of war are not as black and white as she thought they were, which is definitely, I mean, that's been what we've been discussing about the whole episode. So moving on to the second uh, episode of this, of this particular plot, I was trying to look up how much time has passed. And, and as far as I could tell, I think it's sort of within the same year. I tried to kind of, I found a timeline online and it, and because it, I mean, there obviously has to be some time that passed, but because the episode starts off with the first ever sanctioned meeting between the Republican separatists, and it is going to be held on Mandalore because that's neutral ground. And the, so the episode starts with them meeting in Duchess Satine's uh, kind of uh, chambers and the separatists are immediately they demand that that Padme officially pronounce on behalf of Chancellor Palpatine that the separatist state is legitimate. And that's really all that we see about that whole uh, negotiation, that whole meeting, because uh, Lux Bonteri walks in completely uninvited and surprises everybody there. And in that moment, he declares uh, before the entire group that as a separatist, he claims that Count Dooku murdered his mother, uh, Senator Mina Bonteri. It's funny because that was one of the hardest things for me to believe in the whole episode was that they would just be like, yeah, come on up here, make a speech. Yeah, just walk yeah, in. Just, just, like, yeah, who's, who's this kid? <laughs> no, like, <laughs> that's that's. I watching this show. I try and give it so much grace. I'm like, they didn't have time to set anything yeah. up for this. They that's just so needed fun. this thing to happen. So it, it, I could see, and, and it when you do that, if if you're if you're able to do that, mm-hmm. it makes so some other things make so much more sense because Lux looks like kind of a dork throughout this whole uh, <laughs> thing, and if you if you think about him playing a long game, right? Like he's been you know scraping boots and like making sure that he's in the right positions. He's going to be the one that's going to give this speech and they expect him to come up and give the speech about how horrible it is that the war's taken his mother and all this kind of stuff. And then he gets up there and throws that out. Then everything else that he does actually makes sense. You're like, oh, okay, okay. He's been working at this for a while. Not this was just some, you know, (laughs) half cocked idea that he walked in with and was ready to go and everybody just let it happen. Yay. (laughs) So that's a good perspective on it. You could, yeah, apply that to, to more than just this episode. Yeah, that's that's how I try and watch the show all through because it's you know it's thirty minute segments and they're mm-hmm. very in your face with the really heavy philosophical stuff and everything's very quick cuts. <laughs> yep, yeah. So the separatists uh, take him away, and Ahsoka knows immediately that he's probably going to be killed, and Padme lets her go off to uh, help discreetly. And uh, Lux has a hologram encounter with Count Dooku. And Count Dooku denies uh, involvement in the the death of his mother, and then promptly orders Lux's own execution uh, to f- to join his mother. And during that exchange, we see Lux activate some device that he has on his wrist, which will play an important role later down the road. And that's when Ahsoka barges in and and rescues him from the impending execution. And Ahsoka leads Lux past all the droid guards to her ship and even has Republic troopers defend them, even though Lux is kind of objecting along the way and has some other ideas, but it's, things are moving too quickly. And so he, he gets caught up and uh, goes with Ahsoka to her ship and they immediately take off and head into space. And Ahsoka checks in with, with Anakin and who, who reveals that the peace negotiations, negotiations have all but failed. 
and that they will look into uh, giving amnesty to, to Lux in coming to the Republic. And that's when Lux is telling Ahsoka that he can't go with her. He already has a plan. Uh, he's not a separatist any longer, but he also can't join the Republic. And reveals that his plan is is to seek revenge for his mother by contacting a group on Karlak. I just I love this whole build up. Yeah, like when you know who it, you eventually see who it is, of course, you know. Right, right. Well, and and Lux's own ignorance of who Death Watch really is. Yeah. Well, but I, to be fair with him, he hasn't been involved in the war, right? And and yeah. you know, Ahsoka has firsthand knowledge of these guys because she's had to deal with them, or at the very least, Anakin's had to deal with them. Has passed along the information to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So he sees in them an opportunity to seek what he's calling justice, but it's revenge. And Ahsoka decides that she can't go along with it, and so Lux stuns her and takes the ship to to Karlak. When Ahsoka wakes up, she rec- she realizes that she doesn't have her lightsabers and orders R2-D2 to search for him and heads outside to, to encounter and confront Lux. And it's at that moment that Death Watch promptly appears. Uh, <laughs> R2-D2 finds her, her lightsabers and comes out waving them around, which was a little disappointed in him at that moment. <laughs> yeah. Or, and, and the situational awareness of Death Watch, because somehow they didn't see it. You know, right. Like, Got him. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, I did some digging at this point just a little bit uh, because Lux is uh, talking with one of the members of Death Watch, who is um, a female. And uh, it was after the episode that I was starting to look this up. That's Bo Katan, mm-hmm. who yeah. is uh, Duchess Satine's sister. I forgot mm-hmm. that this was her introduction, I think. I was just checking Wikipedia. Yeah. So yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. So yeah, the helmet is wicked. Yeah. 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 Um, but you know, but also, I mean, there's there's of course connections to Duchess Satine, but but Bo Katan in Star Wars Rebels, spoiler alert here, mm-hmm. she is ultimately the one who is able to reunite some of the clans uh with the Darksaber. And that's mm-hmm. before the Mandalorian, all that we know is Bo Katan has the Darksaber, and so we right. don't know what happens. So that And I feel like but, she didn't just hand it off to Moff Gideon. Right, right. I'm I, so mad. <laughs> something happened. I, I suspect we'll find out in season seven of Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. So, so that was once I realized that I was kind of like, oh my gosh, I know who that is, which was exciting for me. <laughs> so he Lux tells Bo-Katan that he has the information that they are seeking, Death Watch is seeking, and he has to come up with a cover for Ahsoka. And they say that Ahsoka is betrothed to Lux. I, I love that that was Ahsoka's jump. That's the first thing that came into her mind. She just jumps in. Oh, I'm his betrothed. What? <laughs> Hold on now. <laughs> yep. Um, R2-D2 has, hides the lightsabers at this point and um, inside his droid casing. And uh, Death Watch immediately grab him and Ahsoka. And they bring them all along with them to uh, to their camp. And as they drive into the camp, we we see just how cruel Death Watch is. They're shooting and destroying uh, those droids just for the sport of it. Of course, you know you can argue they're not they're not human. They're not you know, but at the same time, they've they've done a, a job a good job of humanizing them. And um, it it's sort of like you know how how do you treat your pets? 
that are, you know, like, like, are you, yeah. it, it was that sort of feeling that, that sure they're droids are droids, but still it reveals who you are and how you treat, treat them. So they're, yeah, just, uh, terrorizing those, those, uh, droids. Which I don't know, I don't know how necessary that was given the context of the rest of the, the mm -hmm. encounter with them because there's, they've enslaved a local group and then they, mm -hmm. like, you really didn't need to have them also shooting at droids. I mean, they're, they're, we get that they're pretty despicable by everything else that happens too. So this is kind of like overkill in my opinion, like walking into the camp and that's yeah. what you see. It's like, Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. yeah the, the whole, the whole, like, you know, what's it called? Like the, the whole build up to the dramatic killing, you know, of, of the innocent people in that village too. They just <laughs> like, man, yeah. I, I, I don't know about that, but man, are they mean to those droids? <laughs> I'm like, no, they're look, they're terrible across the board. Of course, they're doing that stuff too. Yeah, I guess they're awful. They're awful on every on every account. Although, I, what I kept thinking though, I kept laughing because like, we're not laughing, but it, you know, with, with the droids and stuff, I just I wrote down in my notes. I was like, man, Death Watch hates droids. You know, and then oh, yeah. I, was, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, maybe that has a little. You know, I'm, I'm, that that was probably fueled a little bit with Young Din Jar, and I guess with them, I don't know. <laughs> There's not mm -hmm. a whole lot of droid love with that particular sect of Mandalorians. There you go. <laughs> yep. So uh, Lux and Ahsoka are brought into to this to this tent, and they have a, a moment of of just them two. And Lux reveals to Ahsoka that he has a a hollow trace device, and that he used it to determine Dooku's location uh, when he had that hollow conversation with him earlier in the episode, and reveals to Ahsoka that he wants to have Death Watch help him kill Dooku um, out of a uh, wrong sense of justice for uh, the murder of his mother. Pre Vizsla walks in and uh, to cover this whole conspiracy thing, uh, Lux immediately kisses Ahsoka and uh, Ahsoka then after that is forced to leave. And, and go join the women. Go join the women. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and he has no idea who he's dealing with, but Ahsoka goes. And uh, Lux and Previsla have a, a discussion, and, and Lux wants to make sure that Vis uh, Previsla is resolved to kill Dooku. And Previsla reveals that he has a scar caused by Dooku and is re resolved to kill him and warns Lux never to question his resolve again. So um, I'm also assuming that that was never shown, but uh, Previsla has had some encounter with Count Dooku before in order to get that scar. So there's there's a bit of uh, hatred there already. Yeah, after after serving uh, after the issue with Kenobi, uh, Previsla needed to regroup the Death Watch, and to do that, he joined forces with the Federation and was backstabbed by them. And when he confronted Dooku about it, Dooku then turned around and and told him to get out, and was a better saber fighter than him apparently. So there you go. Is is that in one of the Clone Wars episodes? I'm not sure. I think it was. I thought, um, yeah, I can't remember which. I'm, what I'm the pretty title sure was. it was in one of the Clone Wars episodes, but I'm not sure which one it was. We'll probably get to it at some point. Yeah. So okay. Um. So Lux hands over the 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 hollow trace device to to Pre Vizsla, and Vizsla wants to celebrate because uh, the information and and he wants to to kill Dooku, and so that's a reason to to celebrate and. R2-D2 at this time is led to the tent with all the broken droids and is taxed to fix them so that Death Watch can use them again for target practice. That was a sad scene. Very um, sad. 
yeah, to see battle droids begging R2-D2 to help them uh, repair was, yeah. But R2-D2's a trooper and, and does indeed help them all. Ahsoka uh, is thrown into a tent with uh, some of the, the other captured female locals. Uh, they're the Ming-Po. And she meets uh, Trila, who is the granddaughter of the elder of that, of that uh, group, uh, the Ming-Po. And they, they basically tell Ahsoka that, that they are people who trust easily and were be- quickly betrayed by Death Watch. So, um, yeah, Death Watch is pretty, pretty despicable. During uh, the celebration, uh, the elder arrives and uh, accuses Vizsla of his crime, uh, of taking advantage of them, and tells them uh, that Death Watch is no longer welcome. And Vizsla is seemingly agreeable up at this point and tells the, the elder that he will release all the female prisoners at sunrise the next day. And immediately in my mind, I was thinking, uh, it's not going to happen. And yeah, surprise, surprise, it didn't. Because at sunrise, they encounter the, the Mingpo elder and immediately Death Watch, you know, dramatically kind of jetpacks around the, the, the village and onto the buildings and uh, they, they surround the entire people. And then Vizsla gives the, the granddaughter back to the elder and immediately draws the dark paper and kills her. And then he orders Death Watch to kill them all. All, all because you should never let the weak tell you uh, what to do. Yeah, and that, that that to me was like kind of I don't know. It's indicative, I guess, of of the stance that Death Watch has kind of moved to. But it's also kind of dark for uh, a show of this caliber where you've got. I mean, there are some characters that do get redeemed out of Death Watch, and mm-hmm. that that we go on to see as good guys, and to be part of that sort of an organization and then to come back from that is it's a tough sell in my opinion well and i do keep i keep wondering about you know the connection of course to uh, the mandalorian uh, you know the show uh which you know again we're my mind keeps going there but i yeah this just it'll be interesting to see you know because in one sense you can see some things that make sense you know with with him being potentially raised or at least strongly influenced by them in his youth but just i don't know like when you if you put the scene when you finally get the full reveal in the Mandalorian of, of it, it's Death Watch that comes to his rescue, this heroic rescue, you know, next to this episode. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's like running like an advertisement for like the Green Berets or something next to like an Al Qaeda training video. You know, like yeah. it doesn't seem to match up like very different. So I, I don't it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that like, did he break with them, you know, or or. I don't know. Are there different, you know, elements to Death Watch? You know, he was he was part of this group. I don't know. It'll just be something I'm curious about, at least. Well, there there's there's probably some connection in the Mandalorian. One of the the troopers was Paz Vizsla, so right. Some yeah. at least of the yeah. same clan, right? Mm-hmm. And and how yeah, how did they break from this uh, despicable nature? And and aren't the the or the Vizslas? They're somehow connected with the Wrens too. I think right. I forget the. Family tree, but I thought that was established in Rebels. But I'll have to go back and look. Yeah, or part of well, the, and then there's that, yeah. and it goes all the way back to the earliest, um, the earliest Jedi yeah. Mandalorian as well. Right. So that's mm-hmm. so there's a long line of Vizslas there, right? But I think it's interesting. It's interesting that you know one of the things that, that Star Wars gets ragged on for a lot is that it's such a child's tale. It's such a child's tale. It's so simplistic. It's so 
uh, like black and white, um, you know, like you have all these archetypes when you're talking about, especially the first, the original three episodes is there is a good, there is an evil. They're definitely separate uh, until the end when they kind of mesh together and mixed up. And then as the universe has expanded, we start to see more and more and more of these characters that go on a redemptive path or that are really, truly evil that become good again, or that are redeemed from that darkness or that struggle with the darkness or that fall from the light. And there's all sorts of different gradations on that concept that really challenge these archetypes that everyone wants to stick to. You know, the Jedi Council wants everything to be like uh, order or chaos. That's all there is. There's no in between, or you know, the Sith are all about bringing things down and and being um, being stronger and governing by fear. But then there's a lot of emotion attached to that. So there's a lot of also there has to be love then in mm-hmm. that as well. So it's a really interesting uh, mixed bag when you get into this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's a yeah, and to tell it in a animated series is is right is really cool. Yeah. So, uh, so at this point, when they're starting to to kill all the the locals, uh, Ahsoka finally begins to to fight back, and she takes out. I think it was up to four Mandalorians, just just like right away. Oh that yeah, the first awesome thing she move. does, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, here, here, let me just do a, like a quick flip and cut four guys' heads off. <laughs> I was like, okay, awesome. <laughs> but in doing that, she totally revealed herself as as a Jedi. And uh, is contained and uh, bound and is ordered to be drugged back to the camp. And we then kind of swap back to R2-D2 and see that that he has successfully uh, fixed up all the droids. And they offer their help to R2-D2. And um, he asks them to help him rescue his friends. And back at the camp, Pre Vizsla confronts Lux about bringing a Jedi into their camp. And Lux tries to ask Visa little to let her go and Visla refuses and equates all Jedi with Count Dooku and says that they all must pay for their crimes against Mandalore. And so at this point I was trying to just figure out what is he referring to and so I this is where I went down the rabbit hole. Like like there's there's <laughs> there's a clear reference here and I was I was looking things up. Um it's a reference to the the Old Republic and the the Mandalorian right. Jedi war and and in canon um, that was um, a series of conflicts between the Jedi and the Mandalorians, ultimately ending with uh, Mandalore completely devastated and the Jedi emerging victorious. But it leaves the, the surface of Mandalore completely scorched and lifeless. And, and then it clicked. That's, that's, of course, why whenever we see Mandalore, we see them. We see that the cities are all contained in, in hermetically sealed dome mm. structures. Right. So there is generational hatred towards the Jedi for all of these these skirmishes and wars and, and the fact that the Jedi uh, ultimately prevailed but devastated Mandalore in the process. But this was also super uh, prevalent or crucial in many of the, the, the fans out there. Um, it's also referenced in Star Wars Rebels. And, I, and so in, in Trials of the Darksaber, Kanan remarks to Sabine that he says that the Jedi won the war with, with Mandalore. And so there's all these kind of references. And, and for those who have played, I don't know if either of you have played the Knights of the Old Republic, the yes. Xbox. Knights of the Old Republic. Mm-hmm. Great game. <laughs> L- yeah. Love that game. Yeah. 
there there's there's a connection here to that game because uh that game uh, revolves around kind of the aftermath of of the Mandalorian wars and kind of what happens and of course that is considered legends not canon but it adds enough credibility in the canon world for for all the fans who love those games to kind of piece it in there it's coming back out. Come on. It's, they're, they're getting ready to re release some old Republic stuff. So I, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> well, there, there's, um, I'm pretty sure there's rumors right now of, of a Knights of the Republic movie being developed. Mm-hmm. So that would be cool. Um, that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really hope that there, if it, if it does go in that direction, either it references the game, but not, not directly and, and it makes it canon. Or if it does do things from the game, it's, it's faithful to, the the characters that i do love as long as they have a droid that refers to all uh organic life forms as meat bags (laughs) that has to be part of what's going on oh my gosh yeah yeah so that was that was kind of a fun rabbit hole that went down i i went kind of a bit deeper and i'm not necessarily going to share that but um there there's some cool quotes from dave filoni on on basing the mandalorians on stuff that that was in the video games and and connecting it to the Mandalorian Jedi Wars and and all that stuff, which was really fascinating. But um, I'll uh, I'll share the link with with you guys and we can share it with with uh, the listeners as well because that was that was pretty cool. So at this point, he is uh, Previsla is is going to kill Ahsoka out of again a, a wrong sense of justice, but he calls it justice. And R two D two comes in and and lets loose a ton of smoke and distracts them and immediately i thought of uh leia's quote from uh the rise of skywalker never underestimate a droid right because r2d2 is the one who saves the day and distracts them and uh ahsoka retrieves her lightsabers and and gets into this fight with with vizsla and the darksaber and by the way guys i blew it um i was getting my ahsoka escapes mixed up so that's that's yeah that's this, this the is one. the one where she right. like immediately jumps out the with lights, the lightsabers. Right. Oh, this was the bigger yeah. yeah. part. Yep. I was yep. 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 This was the more dramatic one. I forgot <laughs> yeah. about the other one because <laughs> this was so cool. <laughs> yeah. Either way, both is she reveals her Jedi uh, agility and power. <laughs> so the fight spills outside, and all the battle droids. Well, I'd have to point out too. She she puts up against um against uh Vizsla here, and and that mm-hmm. was one that gave Obi Wan. Yep. trouble so mm-hmm. she's at least as good a saber fighter as obi-wan uh if not possibly better and you know he he had to cheat get out of that fight too so <laughs> he was also if i remember wearing um armor and ahsoka is probably in general younger and more agile this is true so this is true well, yeah they have not, different not, fighting styles too so there's right there's a, lot, a lot of differences there but don't don't want to harp on Obi Wan too much, but <laughs> I always laugh at Obi Wan's you know his reaction in Episode Two. You know that that great line where the Anakin says to him, you know, where he says, you know, if you you, know, you could rival Master Yoda as a swordsman, you know, if you focus more. And he's like, I thought I already did, and I just love you and regret. Like only in your ma, <laughs> like the little hint. So yeah, he's uh you get that scale there somewhere. But Ahsoka's she's doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The, the the battle droids at that point are are helping assist uh, Ahsoka and all of them as they fight Death Watch. And Lux hops into the speeder and R2-D2 joins them. And Ahsoka, in her battle with, with Vizsla, purposely sabotages his jetpack. And which he has to 
of course, he thinks that she she missed and uh, realizes, of course, as Ahsoka points it out, that I didn't miss. And he has to drop his jetpack before it explodes, and that allows her to jump into the spear and get away with uh, with Lux and R2-D2. And Death Watch chases them uh, with their jetpacks, including Bo-Katan. And they kind of have this skirmish all the way back to back to the ship, ultimately ending with Ahsoka uh, fighting off all the all the Mandalorians. And they get back to the ship and immediately take off. And uh, once out in outer space, uh, R2-D2 reveals that the escape pod has been activated. And that's where we have Lux and Ahsoka have to say goodbye again. And Lux tells her that he can't go with her, even though Ahsoka tries to convince him that they could work together. Lux decides to leave. And that's where the episode ends. Any thoughts? I like coming, <laughs> I like coming back to the quote at the end of all of these. It's uh, what this one was mm. um, in friendship. Uh, friendship reveals who you really are yep. or mm-hmm. something like that. In, in friendship, you reveal who you really are. Friendship and I, shows I us who we really are. Who mm-hmm. we really are. Yeah. And I thought that was a really good kind of uh, it, on both of their ends, the the friendship, the, the tenuous friendship between the two of them, they both really show their true colors. And it's, um, she is, uh, she's not trusting, but at the same time, she depends on people. And that's, I, I think she's, she's good at balancing those two things. And you see that a lot in her relationships. Whereas Lux is kind of like too trusting and um, doesn't rely on the people, on the resources that he has at hand to get things done the right way. And so you see that opposite in them, but you see it also work together in the end to make a good friendship and make a good situation out of a bad one. And to connect it back to the first one, you know, they, they, uh, the first episode that we talked about, they both saw each other as monsters and the enemy to begin with. And the fact that they were able to kind of see through that and see each other as, as persons and develop this friendship that, uh, brings them through this, this episode, uh, is, is just super important to, to human growth. Right. Well, you know, and, and the ongoing question of just them in the middle of this conflict and, I, I wrote in my notes, how much, how much is peace worth? And, you know, Anakin's comment, you know, peacekeepers, and it, it is, it's always tied to some kind of violence. And this idea of, is it just, and this is something I, I go into with my students a lot too, when we talk about war and peace and the church's teaching on it, is that it's not, it's not enough for there just to not be any fighting. You know, like I've just laid waste mm-hmm. to everything and all the bad guys are dead, you know. It, mm-hmm. Peace is, is not a negation of it, you know, of, of something bad. It's, it's a positive reality. And I, I right. love that phrase. You can get into it more some other time, but, you know, Thomas Aquinas and, uh, coming, I think, from Augustine's phrase, tranquilitas, or tranquilitas ordinus, you know, the tranquility of order, you know, or as my friend, one of my friends likes to, they say that old, that old quote of place for everything and everything in its place. <laughs> yep. Yeah. You know, that everything is just in harmony and, you know, um, yeah, that's that's something more to that. And we see this war before it's going on outside. This war is going on inside all of these characters, you know, so mm-hmm. I, just like us. So I, I really like that about this show, too, and all of Star Wars. Well, I, I like the fact that it's you, you see a lot of times the um, the peacekeepers are not moving in this universe until there is a conflict. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem is mm-hmm. that they don't they're not stepping up and taking care of these problems yeah. before they're a problem. And and that's where we are called 
to action uh you know not just as not just when when the chips hit the ground and, and we you know really have to to put up and protect people and all, but before that to like to call for justice to step out in faith to challenge the system the way it is until it's right and to make sure that we do that in a peaceful way but also in, a, in an insistent way uh with work and effort and self-sacrifice yeah we have to be proactive not just reactive right awesome any other final thoughts from either of you since we're going to go into into <laughs> the seventh season and it's probably going to get a little more intense talking about the seventh season i want to talk about a realization i had the other day okay uh i was driving around and i suddenly had this incredible i don't want to i don't know if i want to call it empathy for the empire or uh or a kind of like realization about us as uh americans and i'm, I'm i was thinking in the context of the clone wars the end of the clone wars everything shutting down and, and you especially see it in these two episodes where um the two planets that really set themselves out as being against the war are Alderaan and Naboo and uh, Naboo's kind of off limits because it's the emperor's home planet as well but Alderaan is the one that takes the brunt of that in the end when the fighting won't stop and i think we think of these as two separate wars but you really have to think of the end of the clone wars as the beginning of the the star wars that we know from the original three and that moment where they blow up alderaan stepping back you can totally justify that this rebellion is started it's going to keep this war going on for years possibly it's going to cost more money more lives it's a terrorist organization essentially they're not going to give up how do we strike them in a way that stops the fighting? And then you look at World War II and how we ended the, the conflict in the Pacific. Mm-hmm. And you go, we attack a peaceful, uh, a peaceful place and completely obliterate it and show our overwhelming power so that no one else stands up, so that the, the fighting just stops and it's done. And when I was thinking about that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's terrifyingly accurate to being almost exactly the same situation and we we see it as a as a great ill in the movies because we're watching it from this bureaucratic you know back point from from the rub from the rebel standpoint and um and it just struck me i was driving around the other day and i was like wow that's that's intense that's like a really this this movie this movie series is so much deeper when you really take it and put it up against the real world and i think any any good story is you know fiction science fiction whatever you you use it almost as a mirror to what we know as as real life you know and so we 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 set all this stuff in a in a fictional world to to play these things out but but really it's kind of a running commentary on our own human experience yeah um you know and and both of those uh the the destruction of alderaan but also the the bombs in world war ii um, both of those are, uh, exactly what we talked about earlier is that it's the, it's the attitude that the ends justify the means. Right. And that is morally wrong, uh, because you're, 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 you, you're doing an evil in order to try to cause a good, which is wrong. Yeah. So good, good insight there. Mike, anything from you? Not, no, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, on that uh, sobering note, uh, we will uh, wrap this up. <laughs> I was like, I, I, yeah, I 
Don't have anything to <laughs> add. No, no. <laughs> yeah, sorry to end on that one, but I just wanted to get that out because I know when we get into season seven, we're going to be talking about season seven. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. 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 No, I'm really no, excited for that. Well, cool. Uh, that's that's it from us on this episode. And so, listeners, what did you think of these episodes of The Clone Wars? And you can, of course, email us or comment on our Facebook or Twitter page uh, to let us know. And you can email us all feedback at starwars at sqpn.com. And you can find StarQuest on Facebook at facebook.com slash Media, and on Twitter at sqpn. Uh, be sure to like the Facebook page and follow the, the Twitter feed to keep up to date on what we are all doing and as we release all these uh, fun and fantastic and informative episodes. We'd like to take a moment now and thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of StarQuest, including Jim H., Monica V., Lucas D., Russell T., and Joe S. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of star wars and all the shows that we do here at starquest and so please if you can join them and you can do that by going to sqpn.com give also of course be sure to subscribe to the show to get all the the recent episodes and to follow us as we continue this journey and you can follow us at uh find the the show in apple Podcasts, google play stitcher TuneIn, spotify iHeartRadio. But you can also find us on the SQPN YouTube channel. You can also find any and all previous episodes of The Secrets of Star Wars by going to sqpn.com slash Star Wars. And so we will be back in a couple of weeks uh, when we will begin our review of The Clone Wars Season 7. So we're going to take a, a brief break from looking at the Mandalorian lore and culture. And we are going to jump and follow uh, the new season as it, as it streams. So our first episode in a couple weeks will be a review of the first two episodes of season seven, and we will be taking them in two episode chunks throughout the season as they continue to stream. So be sure to watch on Disney Plus and keep up with the new season before then tuning in and listening to us talk about it. So until then, Thomas Sanherho, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Wars. It's been a pleasure. And Mike Creevy, thanks for joining us this evening. Always a lot of fun. And once again, I'm Father Andrew Kinstetter. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest. Quest.